0: And welcome to Maritime Ireland, the only radio programme about Ireland's marine sector. Tom McSweeney here with news and discussion about this island nation's maritime development, culture, history and tradition. I hadn't realised that there are nearly 17,000 boats on Ireland's inland waterways, nor the number of harbours on the inland waterways until I talked to Paddy Harkin, Inspector of Navigation at Waterways Ireland. That's the north-south cross-border body set up under the Good Friday Agreement, which manages the inland waterways in Northern Ireland and the Republic. He's leading the review of bylaws for the Shannon Navigation, shannon Erne Waterway and the Grand and Royal Canals and the Barrow Navigation. Those bylaws haven't been changed for 40 years, And they need to include a new development on the canals, houseboats. People living aboard because of the housing problem. There's a public consultation underway about the new regulations for the waterways, which I've been discussing with Paddy Harkin.
1: Waterways Ireland is a north-south body that was set up as part of the Good Friday Agreement. uh, And we manage the inland waterways, both in Northern Ireland um, and in the Republic of Ireland, so we have three sets of bylaws in, up in the Erne. We have the Erne bylaws um, and on the Shannon, the Shannon bylaws from 1992. And on the canals, the Royal Canal, the Grand Canal and the Barrow, uh, they're from nine, uh, from 1988. So those bylaws need to be updated. They're over 30 years old. Um, things have moved on, particularly in terms of the usage of the canals uh, and the use of the property, such as the development of greenways over the last uh, 10 years in particular.
0: So you've actually been consulting people and seeking opinions. What are the major response issues being raised with you?
1: If we look at, for example, on the River Shannon, uh, there would be quite a bit uh, around the area of safety um, and the mooring of boats on jetties. So, for example, on safety, uh, the wearing of life jackets, uh, speed limits in harbours, um, the age limits for people to drive boats. Um, We also have a lot of jetties uh, and harbours along the Shannon. We have to look at the mooring periods that people are allowed to moor the boats in the harbours, Um, things around, for example, wintertime mooring. Then on the canals, uh, we have a lot of development of houseboats in the Dublin area, Um, Salons, Castle Knock. Uh, Maynooth, Leakslip, and into Dublin City Centre. So we have to uh, legislate for those houseboats. Um, It's not in the 1988 bylaws, um, but over the last 30 years, uh, there have been growing communities of houseboats, and we must legislate for those. So that's a particularly um, hot topic that we must uh, um, solve in the new bylaws. Those
0: issues being raised by people seem to me to show a great perception of the usage and interest in the waterways, such as obviously safety, priority, uh, moorings and taking up spaces if they weren't entitled to, and houseboats. People seem very interested.
1: Yeah, so people are very interested. Uh, we have 600 boats on the canals. Um, about 150 of those boats now are being lived on, um, either temporarily uh, at week, uh, weeks, during the weeks when people are at college or full-time Um, particularly in the Dublin area where there is an accommodation issue um, and the cost of accommodation is very expensive Uh, Equally on the Shannon then we have 9,000 boats registered on the Shannon and we have a lot of tourism uh, associated with the Shannon so people are very much engaged and you have places like Killaloo, Carrick and Shannon um, Athlone, there's a lot of tourism uh, comes into those areas because of the waterways so people are engaged, Um, it's money into the economy and its jobs so people are going to be um, actively involved in why uh, are the bylaws being changed and what uh, are the implications of the changes.
0: That's an enormous amount of boats Paddy, I hadn't realised there were so many boats on the on the Shannon particularly, isn't it?
1: Yes, it's a lot of boats on the Shannon um, and equally on the Aaron system we'd have uh, the guts of 7,000 boats now, some of those would be day boats, uh, jet skis, um, and then obviously all the big cruisers. But you have a lot of big marinas along the Shannon where there would be, you know, each marina we could have 100 to 150 to 200 boats. So, yeah, it's a lot of boats. Um, it's a lot of boating. Um, each year we would have about 45,000 lock passages. Um, basically, that's a, a boats passing through each of the locks uh, on the Shannon. So um, there's a lot of boating um, and... Uh, It's something that we need to manage properly by having um, correct bylaws. Uh, And if we look at it from a facilities point of view, from Belt, Herbert to Limerick, uh, we have 52 uh, separate harbours and mooring facilities um, with service blocks and electricity, quite a bit of infrastructure that we must manage. And again, that has all developed over the last 20 years. So our bylaws are in need of upgrading.
0: Sounds a huge responsibility and adding to that It's intriguing to note how important the canal is becoming for houseboats as well. You have a big task on hand.
1: Yes, so we have a public consultation running from the 19th of June uh, until the 2nd of October. Uh, So part one of the consultation will be to do with the uh, canals and the second uh, consultation is to do with the Shannon. So we're running the two consultations together at one time, um, and uh, the hope would be that we would get public feedback in. Uh, We will then look at the public feedback, um, and we will be in a position then to make a presentation to the department and the minister on what would be uh, fit-for-purpose bylaws for the canals, um, updating the 1988 ones, and the Shannon ones from 1992. Um, and we must remember that those bylaws haven't been amended in 30-plus years, so uh, we need to take it slowly and get it right, um, because it could be a while before we're changing them again.
0: And finally, Paddy, for anyone who would want to contribute their view, can that be done online?
1: Yes, so we have a portal on our website, where you can go in and there's a survey monkey um, that you fill in for either the canals or the Shannon or both. Um, you also have the option of uh, emailing into corporate at or you can send in a submission by email, or you can post it into Waterways Ireland um, at the docks at Lone County Westmeath. And so we welcome all submissions, um, and the more submissions that we can get, the more uh, fit for purpose and more informed we will be in relation to having bylaws that will be able to see us through for many years to come.
0: Paddy Harkin, Inspector of Navigation at Waterways Ireland, and the new bylaws for the inland waterways and, of course, the houseboats. And you can give your view, as he said, look up the Waterways Ireland website, waterwaysireland.org, for the details. Our inland waterways are a wonderful resource. Y'all, the East Cork seaside town, was in the news because of the Ironman tragedy. But there's more to the town than just that. It's proud maritime history, for example. It was once the main port on southern waters, and it includes a big association with schooners, the sailing cargo ships, one of which was the famous Kathleen and May, the three-masted wooden schooner, which is listed on Britain's National Historic Fleet Register. It was once owned by coal merchant Martin Fleming of Yole, who named it after his two daughters. For 60 years, it traded between Yole and UK ports. It's at present in Gloucester Docks, and a group of enthusiasts in Yole are trying to buy it. They've opened a Kathleen and May information centre in the town. Now with our monthly roundup of maritime news, here's Anton O'Callaghan.
2: The operational decision of the naval service to reduce to just two patrol ships for the rest of the year shows the extent of the personnel problems within the navy, which is 350 under strength. Defence Minister Antoinisda Michal Martin described the situation as not acceptable. He said a more radical recruitment approach with less constraints is needed, but so far there is no solution in sight and there is concern that Irish waters are not adequately patrolled. There are two very specific points in the annual report of the Marine Casualty Investigation Board for last year, about water sports and the fishing industry. The chairperson of the board, Claire Callanan, says it is clear that many incidents on fishing vessels are not reported to the MCIB as required by legislation. The Casualty Investigation Board says that it has made extensive safety recommendations to the Minister for Transport, to Water Safety Ireland, to Canoeing Ireland and to Sport Ireland, expressing to the organisations its concern about safety measures at clubs, particularly about canoeing and kayaking. After 25 years in service with the Marine Institute, the research vessel Celtic Voyager is being sold. The RV Celtic Voyager came into service in 1997 as Ireland's first custom-built multi-purpose research vessel and has been central to the Marine Institute's work and research. Another ship, which was well known in Irish waters, is being scrapped. This is the former Arran Islands passenger freight ferry M.V. Neyavine, for which several preservation plans failed. It was built in Dublin in 1956 and carried passengers and supplies from Galway to the Arran Islands until 1988. It has been rusting in Dublin's Grand Canal dock for many years, as attempts were made to save it from scrapping. Bristow Ireland Limited will operate six search and rescue helicopters from bases in Sligo, Shannon, Watford and Dublin's Western Airport under a contract signed with the Department of Transport. It is to run for 10 years, providing search and rescue to the Coast Guard. Infomar, the project which is jointly operated by the Geological Survey and the Marine Institute, has launched a collection of 18 high-resolution bathymetric maps of Ireland's coastal waters. The Blue Scale map series is the culmination of over a decade of work and highlights the unique and intricate landscapes lying beneath the waves. The maps can be seen by the public on the websites of either organisation – that's the Geological Survey and the Marine Institute. The Department of the Environment, Climate and Communications has announced a series of public information workshops about the South Coast Designated Maritime Area Plan within which offshore renewable energy developments will take place. It will run until September 26th at locations in Cork and Waterford. Details of where and the times are on the department's website at www.gov.ie slash southcoastdmap. That's gov.ie slash The Irish Whale and Dolphin Group is concerned about the possible effects on the Shannon Estuary's resident population of bottlenose dolphins by plans to transform the area into a green energy hub. These plans were outlined by the Shannon Estuary Economic Task Force report, which suggested there should be wind energy projects generating 30 gigawatts of power in the estuary. Marine wildlife, such as dolphins, are especially sensitive to noise from human activity, such as that which would be involved in the construction and maintenance of offshore wind farms and other green energy infrastructure. The Whale and Dolphin Group points out that the estuary's unique dolphins have a protected status. Chief Executive Dr Simon Barrow has pointed this out to the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, Environment Minister Eamon Ryan and the Shannon Energy Task Force. Another wildlife species is getting better attention from the state and you may perhaps see this species near rivers, lakes and in coastal areas. These are ospreys which became extinct in Ireland 150 years ago. Acquired from Norway, 50 are being reintroduced to Ireland by the Parks and Wildlife Service tagged to check what happens to them and where they go. Ospreys are fish-eating birds of prey living close to rivers, lakes or coastal areas. Fish are their favourite food, though perhaps not good news for the fish. And finally, congratulations to Dawkey Rowing Club, which has celebrated 90 years of its existence. That is traced back to the era of the hobblers on Dublin Bay, who were the original pilots of Dublin Bay who rowed out to sailing ships to offer to guide them into port.
0: O Callahan reporting there, Water is essential for life. So when I heard about the Waters of Life project, I thought, that's a very appropriate title. The project is being run from Crooman County Limerick by the Department of Housing, Local Government and Heritage, where Anne Goggin is the project manager. Its objective is to reverse the deterioration of Ireland's most pristine rivers. Rivers feed our estuaries as well as supplying our homes, so it's a very important project which has a budget of 20 million euros and for which, initially, six river catchment sites have been chosen, as Anne Goggin explained to me.
3: Back in the 70s, we had two extremes. We had a huge number of really clean rivers, um, but we also had some serious pollution. We had a lot of point source pollution from sewage treatment plants, from industrial installations. Um, So there was this big spread. But what's happened since then is there's been this move to the middle. Um, We've gotten rid of a lot of the gross pollution. In fact, I think there's only one or two sites left in the country, which would be called Red Dots, where you've got serious pollution now. Um, but we've also lost a huge number of our high status, uh, really clean rivers, really healthy rivers. So they've declined from something like 500 in the 80s down to a handful now, maybe about 40 sites now from 500 in the late 80s, um, which is a huge loss because these places are really important. Um, they're, they're a refuge for biodiversity that can be lost elsewhere in the catchments. But when the the rest of the catchment recovers, then it can be recolonized from these reservoirs of species. So they play a very important role in that respect. They also show us what the reference conditions are, what a high status or a clean river should look like not only in terms of the water quality, but also in terms of the habitat, Um, what the stream bed looks like, what the banks look like, what the riparian vegetation looks like. These high status rivers show us what nature intended rivers to look like. Um, But we've really now got very high levels of slight and moderate pollution. We've lost the majority of our high-status sites. Um, But on the positive side of it, we've dealt with virtually all the serious pollution. Um, So I suppose that's what the project is about. It's asking the question, why have we lost so many of our high-status rivers? And what can we do to protect those that we've left and to restore some of the ones we've lost? So we have now about... um, 334 rivers that have been designated high status objective so what that means is they're either currently at high status or they've been high status in the recent past but lost it so we're tasked with protecting the ones that are still there and restoring the ones that have fallen below the high status
0: So you're going to run this Waters of Life project which is fascinating interesting, it's quite a an extensive one and with a £20 million budget which is quite a lot of money and you've chosen a number of rivers as your first point of focus.
3: Yes, um, so we've chosen six catchments around the country five with sub-catchments so subcatchment scale is usually maybe five to ten individual river water bodies and usually has an area between maybe about 75 and 150 square kilometres. So we've chosen six catchments like that. Five of them will be active demonstration catchments where we'll implement measures. And one will be a control where we'll monitor and we'll just see what happens over time. The one that's the control, a high proportion of that catchment is at high status and has been for a long time and isn't considered to be at risk of losing its high status. So that's our control. The others then are typically the water bodies have either fallen below high status or they're at risk of falling below high status. So the, the catchments are two in Cork. One is the Shornock, which flows into the Lee near Tower. Uh, the second is the aubeg. Now, it's not the aubeg that everybody knows, which flows through Donnerail and Butterbent. It's a smaller aubeg, which flows into the Blackwater Another one is the Islands River, which is a tributary of the Sock up on the Galway West Common border. Um, the final two then are the Greeny in Clare and the Avonmore in Wicklow. We wanted to explore um, how you manage legacy forestry. So this is forestry that would have been put in before the current guidelines and standards. And where you wouldn't have had the necessary setback distances where they might have been planted on soils that we wouldn't plant now and it's looking at how we manage those forestry stands to minimise their impact on high status rivers. Um, and then the control is the Sheen and County Kerry and as I say most of that catchment is at high status and has been at high status for a long time. The um, the islands, the Obeg and the Shornock, the top or the main significant pressure in those three catchments is agriculture. So, generally speaking, with our high status water bodies, the first, the top pressure on them is hydromorphology. So, that's basically the form and flow of the river. Um, and that can be a function of activities in the catchment, such as drainage, forestry, agriculture. The next two um, sectors that impact are agricultural and forestry. So that's why we chose catchments that reflected that. Um, the Avonmore and the Grainy both have the forestry pressure, as I mentioned, the island, the Obeg and the Shorna have the agricultural pressures. What we want to develop as well is a result-based payment scheme for both farmers and foresters, a pilot scheme um, that will look at taking what we've learned from some of our really successful results-based schemes like the burn project, the hen harrier project, the pearl muffle project, but applying very specifically to water quality. Previous results-based schemes have focused more on terrestrial biodiversity, um, but we want to now try and develop one that will deliver for water quality and that has its focus on the river and what's happening in the river and beside the river.
0: This will involve a lot of community effort, won't it? Communities that run among the riverbanks, as well as property owners, farmers etc, all realising the importance of the marine resource which flows past their areas, the rivers?
3: Absolutely, Um, community engagement will be a huge part. We haven't had a big presence in the catchments yet, um, partly because we're doing a lot of scientific assessment at the moment and mm-hmm. want to wait till we've done that to be able to bring that to the community so we can tell them exactly what the situation is in their rivers at the moment. And we'll be doing a lot of awareness work. So I think, yeah, I'm optimistic that people are becoming more and more aware of the issues around water quality. And I think They may be easier for people to grasp than things like climate change because they're local and they affect them locally. Um, Every time we turn on the tap, we're reliant on clean water. Um, as you say, every time we go to swim in the sea we're relying on the rivers that are coming down into it to be clean and not to cause problems in the estuary, so yeah, I think people can relate to it more easily than the bigger global issues and I think they are becoming much more aware of what we need to do to protect our rivers
0: And Goggin, manager of the Waters of Life project. You can read more about it on the website watersoflife.ie. That's watersoflife.ie. I'd also recommend reading an article by Kevin Flannery, the renowned fisheries expert and founder of Dingle Aquarium, in the September edition of the Marine Times newspaper, where he questions why there isn't as much attention given to the encouragement of young people into the fishing industry as there is to agriculture, such as through third-level courses and other encouragements, he says. It's a thought-provoking questioning of government policy and the future of coastal communities. Now we turn to one of the biggest recreational sports in the country, angling, and I'm joined with the latest information from the state body Fisheries Ireland by Miles Kelly.
4: Hello again, Tom. Now, I don't have to tell you that Ireland is famous the world over as a premier sea angling destination. You've probably already sailed much of our 3,000 kilometre coastline and seen for yourself the rich and varied marine life we have. But what you might not realise, Tom, is just how big sea angling is here and that it provides such important social and economic benefits across rural and coastal communities. To give you an idea of what we're talking about here, around 300,000 people living in Ireland go fishing every year. And on top of that, Up to 150,000 tourists will cast a line while staying in Ireland. Sea angling on its own is estimated to contribute over 230 million euros to the Irish economy a year. And it's not just the money. Sea angling as an activity, a sport, a pastime is very important to the health and well-being of a significant proportion of the Irish population. That is the main reason people take to the sea to fish because it gives them space to breathe and feel better. And we know all this because we've asked the anglers themselves directly as part of the Irish Marine Recreational Angling Survey, what we call IMREC. So between the value of sea angling and the incredible positive impact of sea angling, it justifies everyone's efforts to protect and improve this important natural resource. So sea anglers are out there fishing away, but it's not as much to do with what or how much we catch, although it's important, as it is to do with getting outdoors and relaxing with friends and family. There's a lot of passion here, and anglers literally love their sport. 1,200 of them made it very clear. Imrec survey responses. Following the Imrek survey, we developed an app so that anglers could report their catches directly to us. We launched the Imrek app last year and had a great response to it. Once again, about 1,200 people downloaded the app and started recording their fishing sessions. So one year later, and what have we learned? Well. During 2022, sea anglers spent an average of 42 hours fishing. They each caught around six fish every trip and about 80 fish in the year. Now, what did they do with all this fish? About 80% of all that fish was released. And what are all these anglers releasing? Well, the most commonly caught species last year were mackerel, pollock, dogfish, bass, and whiting. And on top of that, flounder, pork cod, Dab, Ballinrass, and Smoothhound also made the top 10. People listening in might be wondering where they might catch one of these fish. Counties Clare, Cork, Donegal, Kerry, and Wexford were hotspots reported in the Imrec app. But to be honest, anyone looking to get started in sea angling could do worse than just go into their nearest pier and see what might be waiting for them. Anyway, search Imrec online to find out more and to get the app, or just visit fishinginireland.info. That's all from me this week, Tom. We'll have to get out for a cast one of these days soon. Safe fishing to all, and don't forget, CPR saves fish. Miles Kelly of Fisheries Ireland.
0: And so we end this edition of Maritime Ireland. If you'd like to comment about anything you've heard in the programme, go on to our website, maritimeirelandradioshow.ie. That's maritimeirelandradioshow.ie, where there's also a lot more to read about Ireland's marine sector. And please email me. Sound production on the programme by Justin Marr. Our phone and text number is 0872 555 That's 0872 555 And the programme general email is tommaksweeneymaritimeireland at gmail.com. That's tommaksweeneymaritimeireland at gmail.com. And you'll find us on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter. With the usual wish of fair sailing, thank you for listening and being part of the Maritime Community with Maritime Ireland.